Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We still take the day off. We still overeat. We still watch Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the football games. We still visit with friends and family. And all of that is is wonderful. But somewhere along the way, I think our culture has missed the intended meaning of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, what a great time of year. Leaves changing colors, cooler temperatures, and the smell of pumpkin pie are all part of what makes for this holiday. But is Thanksgiving supposed to be more than just a date on our calendar? Those first pilgrims had much to be thankful for, but so do we. Because Thanksgiving isn't just for pilgrims. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we start a brand new series entitled Thanksgiving. It's not just for pilgrims. As a nation, we certainly have much to be thankful for. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, our Thanksgiving goes far beyond the material blessings we may have. As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, Thanksgiving is a central part of our faith. When you live Thanksgiving, this desire to worship God just naturally comes out of us. It's when we begin to take the gifts of God for granted that we begin to find ourselves in trouble. If you're where you can, we invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 95 today as we find out why Thanksgiving isn't just for pilgrims. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. Fifty-five, if I count it right, it's fifty-five shopping days till Christmas. Woohoo! If I count it right, fifty-five shopping days till because I count it because it's Sunday because everything's open nowadays, all pretty much all the time. So fifty-five shopping days till Christmas. It's a season, and I love it. I love Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. Do y'all love the Christmas season? I mean, I, I really do. I love I love Christmas music. Uh, I love the Christmas decorations. Uh, that are that are everywhere. Uh, I, 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 by the way, I just, just I just got to tell you this story. Hope y'all don't take offense at this, but uh, it just the irony of it just struck me. I was in uh, Caribou Coffee uh, last week at Triangle Town Center, and uh, a gentleman in front of me who came in through the side door. It's just Christmas decorations. They, the malls are already decorated, right, for Christmas. And so the gentleman who came in Caribou Coffee from the side door, from the outside door, comes in, orders his coffee, he's right in front of me, and, and he turns around to go out into the mall. And he looks up and he says, Jesus Christ, they've already got it decorated for Christmas. Okay, it struck me as ironic, you know, that this guy uses the name of Jesus Christ to complain about the fact that they've got it decorated for Christmas. I'm on a roll. So, yeah, but I love, I, love, I love Christmas decorations on the streets and in the stores and all that stuff. I love uh, eggnog. I love uh, my wife decorating the tree. I love, I love all of that, all of that stuff. I, I do. I really love it all. But uh, in our rush to the more commercially viable holiday that Christmas is, our society has all but bypassed Thanksgiving. Now, we still, we still take the day off, those of us that, that get the day off. We still take the day off. We still overeat. We still watch Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the football games. We still visit with friends and family. And all of that is, is wonderful. 
And it's super. It really is. But somewhere along the way, I think our, our culture has missed the intended meaning of thanksgiving. Now, certainly those first uh, pilgrims who landed in America had much to be thankful for that first thanksgiving. Historical revisionists have all but removed the religious connotations from that event and, and from the holiday in general, quite frankly. But they, after an unbelievable year and so many people that died during that year, they no doubt had much to be thankful for. But so do we. Because Thanksgiving isn't just for pilgrims. That's why today we're beginning a four-week series on Thanksgiving. Because of what I believe is the importance of that, that, that process in our lives. Because of the importance of the idea of thanksgiving. If you brought a copy of God's Word today, I want to invite you to open to Psalm 95. By the way, uh, as you listen to Psalm 95, and then as we talk about it, I, I, want you to, uh, I want you to, if you were listening to what John said a few moments ago as he led us in worship and as he read uh, from Psalm 89, uh, you'll see the, the direct connection here in this theme that runs really throughout uh, God's Word. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountain, mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not hark. Harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not. Enter into my rest. Psalm 95. Certainly the idea of thanksgiving uh, is an important one in the life of believers. It is covered throughout the pages of God's word. From Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. There is con this continual theme. There's a, there's, and there's a number of themes in the word of God. But there's a continual theme of thanksgiving that is, that is being lifted up. And so certainly thanksgiving... Being thankful, grateful, is an important component in the life of a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to spend some time in Psalm 95 and, and pull from there uh, some ideas, some truths about thanksgiving that you and I can apply to our lives because it's not just for pilgrims, right? Let's start with this idea uh, this morning. Here's, here's the first idea I want to give to you. The demonstration of thanksgiving is worship. 
That may not be the only one. You might say a demonstration of thanksgiving is worship. But the, the demonstration of thanksgiving is worship. Uh, again, in verse 1 and 2, listen to what he says. He opens with, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. The word, uh, I mean, verse 1 opens with this, this Hebrew uh, verb that comes from the root word uh, halak. I know it doesn't mean anything to you, but I just like to say that. Halak. I sound more Jewish. I feel more Jewish when I say the halak. Come. Halak is the root word. And it, it means to go, to walk, to act. So at the very opening of this psalm, the writer, David, invites us to action. I mean, the very first words out of his mouth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is a call to action. Oh, come, act, move, do this. And what he, what he invites us, what he encourages us, what he, what he calls us to action to do is to worship because worship is a demonstration of our thanksgiving. Now, it, to me, it, it strikes me as, as very interesting, uh, this this call in here to, uh, to come and sing for joy of the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with the Psalms. What's interesting to me about this is that in probably all the history of the world, no one has held the holiness of God in higher esteem than the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people didn't always get it right. That's for sure. With plenty of stories where they blow it, and we're going, to, we're going to see one of those even here in Psalm 95. But, but the Jews, uh, at least when they got it right, they understood this, this idea of the holiness of God. Nobody seemed to get that more than they did. The, the, the scribes, the, the people who would write, who would translate or write, make copies of, of the, the Old Testament, the Bible, which was all they had at that time. Remember, there's not a printing machine or anything. Everything's hand-copied. The Jews were so uh, crazy about this idea of the holiness of God. Do you know that they wouldn't even write his whole name out? They would leave letters out because they felt unworthy to even speak or, or even write the name of God. A scribe who was, who was copying God's word, if he took a break from his copying and he w- went to sleep or ate something or whatever, when he came back, do you know that he had to go through a ceremonial washing before he could take up his pen and begin to write again? Because they said they, they, they thought the word of God and the name of God was so holy, so, so precious. And what's interesting to me about this is this worship that you read about that they're involved in in here. Because in our American culture, certainly within, our, within the white American culture, okay? Y'all all right? White people? Y'all all right if I call y'all out? Certainly within the context of white American culture, worship, when, when, when referring or thinking about the idea of, of, of worship and the holiness of God, traditionally that worship has tended to be more liturgical or more formal. But what I read here sounds almost a little Pentecostal. 
I mean, look, look, look at some of the words that he uses here. Look, look at some of these things that he used to describe. Let, let, us, let us sing for joy. They're singing. Let us shout. They're shouting. They're, they're using the Psalms, which uh, some of you may know. I've said this before that the Psalms were, were a songbook to the Jews. It's in our Bible and we read it, but they, they sung the Psalms. And they sung them with musical accompaniment. There were instruments being used because plenty of other psalms refer to all the various instruments that were being used. Psalm 47.1 says that along with shouting that they would also clap their hands. Now, for those of us that are clapping challenged, all right, you got you to gotta, you gotta have some rhythm to do this. It's a, it's a learned thing. You know, you gotta, it's, a, it's, a, it's a learned thing, but... They, they clap their hands. Psalm uh, 63.4 and 134.2 and 141.2 tells us that they, they lifted their hands to the Lord uh, as a demonstration. Really, that's all that is, the idea of lifting their hands. As a demonstration of their, their need for God, their desire to be with God. Um, I was thinking about this like um, my third grandson Emery he's about a year and a half now so he's just like the right age he's walking and uh, whenever he comes in the room where I am or if I come in the room he always says and I love the way he says it, he says poppy he puts a it really puts an accent above it poppy but when it, and he did the same thing this week this just a couple days ago he comes in the room and he and he walks around and he comes up and he does this and you listen you can't you sure can't understand a, hardly a word they're saying but you instantly know what they're saying, don't you? I, I, I want you. Pick me up. Hold me. Take care of me. Th- that's really all that expression is. It's just a, a way to say, God, I, I, I want you. I, I need you. I, I desire to be near to you. I, I want to be in your presence. And I'm sure in some churches I'd be burned at the stake for saying this. But Psalm 150, verse 5. Ooh says that there was dancing in their worship. Now listen, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying that worship should be a free-for-all. I don't think the, the front, what we call an altar, it turns into an altar. I'm not saying it should turn into a mosh pit on Sunday morning. I, I know David, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that everything should be done decently and in order. I understand that. But I, but I don't think that that means that our worship ought to look more like a funeral service than a party. And, and I don't think the Jews thought that either. There was just this expression of, of thankfulness to God that turned into worship that was, was expressed in who they were. And they were unashamed of it. I, um, I was in a worship service several years ago in uh, Ecuador, and it was one of the purest expressions of worship that I have ever been in in my life. We were in a room that I'm telling you, I was, I was trying to think today, couldn't have been more than, it may have been like maybe eight by eight one night. We're in this room, it was maybe eight by eight. There was one old, slightly out of tune guitar. There were uh, two or three candles that they had, had uh, melted some of the wax and stuck the candles right on the wall because there was no room for, t- for a table or anything in there. So there were two or three candles stuck on the walls uh, lighting the room. And there were maybe 15 or 20, somewhere between 15, I don't remember, somewhere between 15 and 20 of us all crammed into this little room. 
And I, I remember there was a guy in there, uh, Phil told us about, there was a guy in there who had for years been the town drunk. And he had been delivered by the power of the, of the gospel, the message of Jesus. His wife that he used to beat when he came home at night in a drunken stupor was in there. There were other people in there that, that didn't have two nickels to rub together. And they, they sang their hearts out. And I'll tell you something, I, I didn't understand a single word they were saying because they weren't speaking in, in my language. But I understood every word they were saying. Because every word they were saying was, thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for, for delivering me from a wasted life. Thank you for redeeming me through your shed blood. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for the promises that you've given to me. It's worship that is just naturally generated when thanksgiving is a part of our lives. Look at a few passages of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. Watch the connection between giving thanks and I will sing praises to your name. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalm 18, uh, verse 49. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Folks, it's just a part of who we are when we have this this recognition of and this idea of thanksgiving and gratitude. Now, let me just say this real quickly and we'll move on. Some of you may be thinking, well, he, he, he's trying to get me to lift my hands or he wants me to shout or, or he wants me, quite frankly, quite frankly, I don't care what you do. It's none of my business. I, I, I'm sit, I sit down front and, I, and I'm watching the, the, the praise team as they're trying to lead us and I'm trying to focus on God. And, and so it's not really any of my business. But what I, what I do care about and what is my business as your pastor is that you make this connection between thanksgiving and worship. What does matter to me is that you understand that when you live, that when you're living thanksgiving, that this, this desire to worship God just, just naturally comes out of us. So... That's kind of the first idea, this, this idea that, that, that a demonstration of our thanksgiving is worship. Here's another idea real quickly this morning. The motivation of thanksgiving is recognition. Recognition of God. And let me read that to you again, starting in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. There's the motivation for thanksgiving. And and the the psalmist really gives us what I would say there's three ideas in there, three areas that we can focus on that where we find our motivation. The first one is this: it, it, it's it's who God is. It's this this is who He is. I'm so great. Can I, tell you, I am so grateful for who God is. I am so grateful that my God is not some you know half 
cocked. Oh, I don't know. I just kind of started this whole thing and now look what a mess it is. Oh, oh. It's, it's who God is. Look, look at what he says. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now, when the psalmist writes this, he's not implying that there are other gods. He's simply uh, stating the fact that people worship other gods, that people believe that there are other gods. He's not saying there are other gods, but he's saying there is no other god like our god. Simply stating the fact that, that, people, that people did it then. They worship gods of uh, the weather, the, the planets, fertility gods. They had all kinds of gods. Their idols were made of, of wood and, and stone. We have our gods today. All kinds, of, all kinds of religions and isms and philosophies that people follow and devote their lives to. Not to mention our idols of, of money and power and fame. Yeah, we have our God. Sometimes I, I hear somebody uh, say something like, uh, well, that's just, that's just stupid. How could, they, how could they bow down and worship uh, something made of wood? Oh, yeah, we're, we're much more sophisticated now. We worship a God made out of paper. It's who he is. It's just he is this God. And, and the fact that the psalmist says that, that he's a king above all kings, that he's, he's a great king, he's simply pointing out, uh, trying to call to our attention that he has authority. He has authority. He has sovereignty. He's ruler over all. It's who he is. And I'm so grateful. That motivates me to be grateful that he is the God that he is. So it's, it's who God is. Here's another idea about it. It's also what God has done. He says in verse 4, In whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. It's, it's what he's done. And look at what he says. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is the great creator God. He is the one who spoke it all into existence. How can I not be thankful for a God that has done what he has done, including creating us? For he is our maker. And look at the descriptive language that the psalmist uses. The depths of the earth are in his hand. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. His hands formed the dry land. It's what God has done. Besides all of his creation, which is magnificent, by the way. And and if you get too busy, slow down and just take in God's creation. And I... Let me just go ahead and share this with you. It's a little, for whatever it's worth for you. Let me tell you one of the ways I do Because can I, some of you that hang around me know, some of the guys I mentor with, you've probably heard me say this before. But one of the things that we struggle with as people is that we always tend to gravitate away from the things of God. You notice that in your life? Oh, I, I, I want to get close to God. I want to follow God. I want to be obedient. I want to serve him. I want to do all the things that he wants me to do. Oh, and then, you know, a year or next month or whatever, then, oh, how did I get... How do I get over here? Well, I want to follow God. I want to, I want to get serious. I want to get it. We, we always tend to gravitate. It's just part of living in this sin-cursed world and in this sin-cursed body. We gravitate away from the things of God. So, so I can do that too. One of the things that I do just to remember what my God has done, especially when it comes to his creation, I, um, I subscribe to something called Earthshots. Earthshots.com or 
dot something. Uh, but I get an email every day with a photograph attached to it. Usually a photograph of God's some, something, some place on God's earth, or God's creation. That's used. Sometimes it's people and stuff like that, which are part of God's creation as well. But I, that's just what something I do. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you it's something I do. I use that photograph every day in my prayer time as just a reminder to say, God, thank you so much. Your creation is amazing. It's beautiful. It's spectacular. It's awesome. Lots of times there'll be animals. And I mean, animals are like weird. I mean, there's all kinds. Aardvark. Aardvark. You know? But it, it just displays the handiwork of God. So that's just something I do because, because I know how I can be. And I know I can drag, gravitate away from the things of God. So it's this idea. Motivation comes from the fact that I know who, who God is and I know what God has done. Here's uh, another idea about that. Uh, Psalm 8, verse 3. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it, Tyler. Thank you. Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4 says this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Same thing that Psalm 95 was just talking about, basically. What is man that you take thought of him, the son of man that you care for him? The psalmist says, I can't even believe that you even... When I look at what you've done... Which then leads to the third idea, uh, which is this. Who we are to God. Oh, listen. And this one... They're all important. This one may be the most important of all as far as finding the motivation for why I give thanksgiving. Listen to what he says. This is verse 7. For he is, say it with me, our God. Let me say it again. For he is, say it with me, our God. Yeah. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Uh, Several years ago, I read a book uh, entitled uh, the shepherd, uh, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. And that book really helped me to gain a much better understanding of this whole sheep-shepherd analogy. Uh, several places in the Bible, God is sometimes compared to a shepherd, and people, us, are compared to sheep. And ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to understand the depth of the love that the shepherd has for the sheep, in the way that he cares for them, in the way that he provides for them, in the way that he feeds them, in the way that he leads them, in the way that he protects them. When you begin to see that picture, you begin to get at least a small glimpse of how much God loves you. I've asked this question from time to time. Maybe it's just as good a time as any to ask it again. Do you know how much God loves you? I mean, do you really understand how much God loves you. Because I think that oftentimes in our lives, we forget how great, how deep, how spectacular God's love is for us. Because when, when, when I'm thinking properly, when I'm thinking about his love, I'm telling you, it, it, it gives me a peace. It gives me a confidence in my life that that my God is large and in charge, that my God is on his throne and he is not going to abandon me in the midst of whatever it is that I might be going through, that he is the God who spoke all of this into existence, including us, that it's all in the palm of his hand, as the psalmist seemed to be saying, and we are precious in his sight. We are his sheep and he is our shepherd. Let me, uh, let me give you one more idea this morning. The culmination of thanksgiving is obedience to God. Demonstration, thanksgiving, 
will lead to worship. It, it, it'll, just, it'll just happen. The motivation to be thankful is just remembering who God is, what God has done, and who we are to God. And this is an idea that will probably show up several times within this series, ladies and gentlemen. It won't be worded this exact way, but it's the same idea because this is how it works. That when I'm truly thankful to God for who He is and what He has done, it leads to surrender in my life, a.k.a. obedience. The culmination of thanksgiving is obedience. Let's read it, uh, picking it up in the last part of verse 7. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me. Though they had seen my work, that's key. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said that they are people who err in heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. The psalm, Psalm 95, takes a fascinating turn at this point. Up until this point, the first six and a half verses have been pointing us to the faithfulness of God. Now the psalm suddenly makes a turn and uses the rest of the psalm to point out the failures of man. Something else interesting about the psalm, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but right in mid literally in mid-sentence, the psalm changes from the psalmist talking to God himself begins to talk. Did y'all catch that? God himself delivers this warning to us, ladies and gentlemen, and he uses a negative example from the history of the nation of Israel. The story comes from Exodus chapter 17, where God has just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They've been 400 years in captivity. If, you, if you've attended Sunday school as a kid, you know the story, and brought them up out of Egypt. They've just experienced God doing all of these miraculous events, all the plagues that he poured out on the nation of Egypt because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. They saw it. They, they saw it all. Flies, flying everywhere. Locusts, I don't know what all. There's all kinds of stuff going on. They saw every bit of it. They, they, had, they had experienced God's hand of protection, not once, but twice. Once when the death angel passed over the houses of the Israelites to strike the houses of the Egyptians. And second, when God leads them to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is in front of them and the Egyptian army the most powerful army on the earth at that time, by the way, is bearing down on them and God parts the waters. That's not something you see every day. Parts the water and they walk across on dry land, as the text says. And then, double whammy, the Egyptian army, which, which pursues after them, intended to kill the Israelites, God causes the water to come crashing down again. Now you got to wonder. By the way, you got to wonder if some of the Egyptian army guys are thinking, this is not a good idea. As they go down into that water, something of water, you know, this can't be, this is not a good idea. And God causes the water to close in on them so that the Egyptian army drowns. They've seen every, every bit of it. And so they come to this, this place that's called Rephidim. And the problem from the people's perspective, by the way, because there's never a problem from God's perspective, the problem from the people's perspective was there was no water. And from a human perspective, that can be a problem when there's as many as possibly two million people. We don't exactly know the number of people that came out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Perhaps as many as two million people 
out in the wilderness, out in the desert area with no water. But did you notice how, how the text, how God kept saying that they don't know me? They don't know me? Even though they'd seen these things? Because if, here's where, here's where we're getting to. There's no, there's no gratitude, there's no thankfulness in their hearts. Because if there had been, I promise you, here's what their response would have been. They would have, they would have, they would have gotten down, there's no water, and, and somebody would have said, no water? No problem. Remember when our God did this? Hey, remember when our God did that? Remember how our God protected us from the Egyptians? Remember how, the, how God brought all them plagues on the Egyptians? Remember how, I, I know it doesn't look good right now. I know there's no water here, but our God didn't bring us all the way out here to just let us die of thirst. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for what you've done to lead us up to this point, And thank you for what you're going to provide for us. That's what they would have done. That's what they should have done. But instead, this is what they said. Exodus chapter 17. Therefore, the people quarreled, quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Do you test the Lord? Moses knows where this is going. But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? There it is, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. That's what happens when you live a life without thanksgiving. It becomes impossible for you to believe God for whatever is out in the future for you because you've never stopped to thank him for what he's done for you in the past. To look at those events and those examples and those times that you didn't even know how you're possibly going to make it. But now looking back at it, you can see what God was working and what God was doing. And, and you've never slowed down enough to say, God, thank you for how you worked and how you acted. I can trust you for what you're going to do. But instead, they grumbled, they mumbled, they rebelled. They were unwilling to follow and believe God. Same thing happened. Really, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. It all started with the fact that they failed to, to appreciate, they failed to recognize what they had and what God had done for them and who God was to them and who they were to God. They failed to appreciate it and it ultimately led to rebellion. It's, it's just this idea of recognizing our God and what He has done, which leads to surrender in our lives. It leads to obedience in our lives. I really believe this. I'll get ready to close here. But I really believe that Psalm 95 is an arrow shot straight at our hearts to say to us, don't forget. Don't forget what I've done. Live in an attitude of thanksgiving for who he is, for what he's done, for who you are to him, a precious child of God whom he shed his blood for. And let it lead you into, into greater depths of surrender to Him. And I, spiritually speaking, I've been to Egypt. I've been where it is to, to run from God or to be away from God or to not want God. I've been to Egypt, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't want to go back there. I don't, want to, I don't want to go back. I don't want to look back. I don't want to shrink back. I want to move forward in the promises that God has for us us as individuals, and for us as a church. At least part of the secret of that is living in thanksgiving. Because it's not just for pilgrims. 
Certainly, thanksgiving is an important part of the health and strength of our spiritual walk. When we lose a heart of thanksgiving, as Pastor Clay showed us today, we're going to have a hard time following God. Being reminded of who God is, what He has done, and who we are to Him should fill our hearts with thankfulness to God for His love. As we saw today in Psalm 95, the Israelites failed to trust God in difficult situations, at least partially, because they failed to be thankful for what they had already seen God do in their lives. You and I can't afford to make the same mistake they made. Why not make it a practice in your life to set aside some time each day to thank God for all He has done for you? He certainly deserves it. But you'll be amazed at how Thanksgiving will transform your walk with Jesus. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.